Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined by my partner in crime, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field to preview Packers Vikings. It is week 17, Wes, and the kickoff will be at 3.25 p.m. Sunday at Lambeau Field. Obviously, the Packers haven't seen the Vikings since week one at U.S. Bank Stadium. And the irony of that game, if that's the right word, is the Vikings beat the Packers by two touchdowns that day. They have not beaten anybody else this season by more than eight points, yet they are 12-3 and three because they have won 11 one-possession games. This is a team that wins games late, that plays well in the fourth quarter. If you are going to beat them, you have to beat them for all four quarters. Doing it for three quarters won't be good enough. And no lead is safe. I mean, we learned that with the Indianapolis Colts. No kidding. There is so many people out there, and I get it. I saw what the Vegas lines are on this game. There are so many people that are quick to disrespect the Minnesota Vikings. And I've stopped short of doing that. Because what stands out to me the most, Mike, is you can talk about the one-score wins. You can talk about the comebacks. You can talk about the greatest comeback in NFL history. But what you need to pay homage to with this Minnesota Vikings team is they got five more wins than the Green Bay Packers. Yep. However they got there, however they did that, the quality of opponents, the strength of schedule, whatever you want to talk about, they did it. They're the NFC North champions. They will be playing in the playoffs. And – the Green Bay Packers are trying to make that journey with them. This is the biggest game of the Green Bay Packers season. And as much as people want to talk about fun playoff scenarios and, you know, the running the table 2.0 and all that, all that can end if you don't take care of business, if you don't take this team seriously. I go back to week one, Mike. I think about that game against Minnesota, the fact that they did have a multiple score win, what Justin Jefferson did defensively what they accomplished the areas of the game in which Minnesota executed and Green Bay did not so many people want to talk about the rookie not being able to catch that 75 yard touchdown right off the bat right wasn't about that right I think so many people use that as sort of a sin-eating sort of thing of okay well that that's where else no the Packers didn't execute in so many different other areas of that game too 100 percent. you have to get the job done it sounds like it's going to be a beautiful day beautiful night at Lambeau Field so I don't know if we're going to have your traditional January football game. Right. But all that being said, the Packers are at home and they got to take care of business. Yeah, they absolutely do. And the, the games just keep getting bigger for this Green Bay team, right, week after week. And now you're playing the team, your division rival, the team that has already clinched the division. Vikings are fighting for playoff seeding. They're, you know, right in, in the mix. You know, they're, they're, they're essentially the front runner for the two seed right now. Yep. They would rather not uh, let that go, clearly. Um, but uh, back to your original point about having to give this team respect, you absolutely have to. Uh, twelve and three, you don't you don't win twelve games in the NFL, twelve out of fifteen because of some kind of fluke. Yeah. Yes, uh, an insider inbox reader sent in a statistic, and they weren't disparaging the Vikings; that they were just stating a fact. Minnesota has had the lead at the end of the third quarter only six times this season. If their games, this was the sort of his comment or hers, I apologize because I can't remember the name of the individual. Theirs. <laughs> if the Minnesota Vikings games were 45 minutes long instead of 60, they'd be 6 and 9 right yeah. now, you know. But the games are 60 minutes long. These guys and this is it, it's not exactly the same thing, but to me there's a similarity to 
the Packers and Matt LaFleur's first season in 2019 because the Packers won a bunch of close games that year. There were a lot of people that didn't necessarily respect Green Bay. It was like, oh, well, you had Carolina at home and you only beat them by eight points or you had, you know, whoever and, you know, you had to pull it out in the last, you know, three minutes or five minutes or something like that. Well, you know, guess what? The Green Bay Packers were one of the last two teams standing in the NFC that year for all the disrespect that was thrown at them in 2019 just because they were winning close games. And yes, a lot of games in the NFL can go either way. But we saw it with the Packers in 2019, and I think it's the same thing that's happening with the Vikings in 2022. When you start to win those close games, you learn how to win, you learn what it takes at crunch time. A team develops a belief that somehow, some way, when the game is close at the end, they're going to find a way. And just like the Packers in 2019, not every single time, but the Minnesota Vikings in 2022 are finding a way more often than not, and you have to give them a ton of credit for that because they've earned exactly where they are. Yeah, and and the fact that that Kevin O'Connell, as a first-year head coach, has been able to keep his team's head in it uh, as well as he has into those second halves, into those fourth quarters. You know, I look at that game against Indianapolis, and I I won't say who the representative was of the Green Bay Packers that said this to me, but – it was thirty-three to nothing at halftime. I'm like, wow. I mean, Minnesota's just falling apart. I mean, this is a ter- This is gonna be a terrible loss. And someone was like, no. I mean, it's not over yet. There's still thirty minutes left. We've seen enough of this with them this year. And then, sure enough, yeah. Lo and behold, look what happened. I uh, I look at this in a lot of different dimensions, Mike. The first one being is that the Vikings, in a lot of ways, uh, they're just so good at knowing what they are and what they need to accomplish to win. And I think that's a combination of a lot of returning veterans on both sides of the ball. And also, uh, I think, an offensive-minded head coach uh, that has sort of instilled a new kind of swagger with, with those veterans. I mean, Minnesota, when you look at their box score this season, Michael, it, it is what it is. Kirk Cousins is the quarterback. He's going to have a couple t- turnovers, but I still think he does a tremendous job of taking care of the football. I Just, think he's – I mean, I, I think there's almost no question he's having the best season of his career, yeah. right? I mean, and, and it's not just the wins and losses. It's like when you watch him, like Kirk, Kirk Cousins absolutely fully passes the eye test yes. this year as a winning quarterback, and the numbers back it up, and obviously the wins and losses are there to prove it too. Yeah, and I think you look what happened when Washington let him walk and what happened in Minnesota. Minnesota's won a lot of games. Uh, during the Kirk Cousins era for as much pressure as he's been under. Justin Jefferson is the preeminent young receiver in this league, 1,700 receiving yards. Delvin Cook has kind of shifted, Mike, in my mind. He went from this guy that when his first couple seasons, he always struck me as like this big home run threat and a guy that, you know, is explosive and everything. And you can see over the years, he's just turned himself into a, a smarter running back, a more complete running back. And he's been the face of it for them this year. They go as he goes. Um, the offensive line, we'll see what happens. Defensively, they've been going through some struggles as of late. But at the end of the day, with what Cousins and Jefferson and Cook have done offensively, along with throwing in TJ Hawkinson into the equation, Minnesota has plenty of ways in which they can beat you. And honestly, in these 12 victories this season, they've used basically all of them in order to do it. 
Yeah, the Vikings, I mean, right away starting in week one against the Packers, they showed Kevin O'Connell with this offense and Cousins, they showed they were going to be very creative with how they were going to use Justin Jefferson. They were going to devise ways for him to get open, for him to beat coverages. To uh, they, they were always going to have a counter for what you're doing coverage-wise in order to get Justin Jefferson open. And as you said, he's got over 1,700 receiving yards with two games to go. He's had 123 catches. You know, just if he sticks sort of with his his average numbers, so to speak, he's going to have, you know, 140 catches and 2,000 yards when uh, when this thing is all said and done. Dalvin Cook, he's he's over 1,100 yards rushing. He strikes me, you, you said complete running back, and, and I agree. He can he can catch the ball out of the backfield, but he can he can also be either the pounder or the game breaker. Yes. Right. I mean he can he can grind out the yards between the tackles, but then part of their big comeback in Buffalo, he rips off an eighty yard touchdown run, right, to get them right back into into that game. And when he's in the open field, he's not uh, he's not easy to bring down. They pick up TJ Hawkinson from the Lions at the trading deadline midseason. His production is continuing to grow to the point that he had two touchdown catches last week um, against the New York Giants. Kirk Cousins is the one who's, uh, who's calling all of it. Packers had a rough time with Justin Jefferson in week one. He had the 180-some yards, whatever it was. The, uh, the coverages broke down. Quite frankly, I thought the Packers' secondary looked lost in terms of what they were trying to do. There's a combination here where I think I think the Packers will come up with some different plans, but regardless of whatever plan they devise for Justin Jefferson, the players have to execute it. And there there was a complete lack of execution yeah. in Week One at Minnesota. So this is this is this is a two way street here. This is this is about coming up with some coming up with some variety, coming up some with some better plans, but also the players executing it to not let Justin Jefferson completely take over this and, football game. And I think some humility too, right? I, I think the Packers defensively went into the season really hard charging and just thinking we're going to roll the ball out there and dominate. Uh, they were humbled the yeah. middle of this season. No through, question. Through injuries, through inconsistency, through miscommunications. And honestly, I feel like where they're at and how they've kind of peaked here at the end of the season and, and – especially in that secondary. I, I just feel like there's a lot more awareness. Uh, I, I don't know what Joe Barry's going to devise uh, for going up against Jefferson, but I will yeah, say... Yeah, I don't know either. I will say this. The season's on the line here. Yep. If it's me, I want to see as much Jair Alexander over Jefferson as possible. I, I just... Again, I understand you're going to mix coverages. You can't just be trailing guys when you're doing zone concepts, but I, I want their best to beat our best if that's what it's going to come down to. And I just felt like when we got out of that game in Minnesota, they're just you just didn't feel like you saw the best effort against what certainly was a fantastic performance from the Vikings offense. So I'm very curious to see how they handle that. And then conversely, I know this will be your next transition point here, but how the Packers perform in the other phases of this thing, yep. how they attack this defense, Ed Donatel's defense that's been struggling as of late. Special teams, I mean – Ken A. Wangu, I mean, he is it's right there with Keyshawn Nixon as far as the most dynamic kickoff returners in the league. As much as we're going to talk about Cousins and the headlines are going to be about Cousins and the Packers defense and Jefferson, this is a three-phase football game, and the Packers are going to have to win each one of them in order to come out there with the W. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the, on the injury side of things, we're still waiting to see 
you know, with regard to Keyshawn Nixon, he did not practice on Wednesday. Christian Watson with the hip injury did not practice Wednesday. Aaron Rodgers missed practice with a knee injury from uh, from a sack in the Miami game, but he said, you know, he expects to be practicing Thursday, uh, good to go for the week. It's not gonna, going to affect his availability. We did see David Bakhtiari return to practice at left tackle on a limited basis for the first time since his appendectomy. And Yash Nyman, who left the Dolphins game with a shoulder injury, sounds like that was just a shoulder stinger, not so much a, you know, like some sort of structural shoulder injury. He was back at practice on Wednesday, so um, so a good sign there. We'll see exactly what the Packers lineup is going to be from a health perspective. But um, this this Vikings defense, it it uh, it just it just strikes me as so curious, Wes, because you look at things. You've got Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter both in double digits and sacks. You still have Harrison Smith patrolling in the back end. You've got Patrick Peterson on one of the corners. You've got Eric Kendricks in the middle of all this thing. Those are some awfully big names on the defensive side of the ball. Yet six of Minnesota's last seven opponents have put up 400-plus yards on these guys. Their defense, their defense is struggling. They yeah. haven't been able to put it together yet. They haven't figured it out. I think for the Packers, and we'll get into more specifics as far as some keys to victory here in a minute, but it, it just feels like, especially with the Packers coming off of the Miami game where they were just two for five in the red zone, only two for four in goal-to-go situations, now you're facing a defense that has given up yards and let people drive up and down the field on them for the last two months. This game might come down to, can the Packers finish drives? You get inside the 20, you get in goal-to-go. For the season, the Packers have only been about 50% red zone, 50% goal-to-go, both of those not where the Packers have been under Matt LaFleur and and historically really not where the Packers have been. If uh, if Green Bay can finish drives in this game and not play to that 50% in close profile, um, I think the Packers can put up enough points to win this. Thing. I think that's the biggest difference from week one. I just think the way that this offense has matured. And, uh, and, and this, the getting stuffed at the goal line in yep. week one was sort of the start of you know, all uh, this, the start of what is now 15 games in and you're sitting at 50% in goal to go in red zone, it all started against the Vikings yep. back in week one. Yeah. And now certainly you look at last week and there was points left out there. They had to rely on, you know, Mason Crosby's foot probably a little bit more than they wanted to, to win that game. But all that being said, I, I just feel like the identity of this team is so much more cemented than it was in week one and week one, I mean, you look at that pass to Watson. I, I just felt like that was an offense trying to find something to, to sort of build on earlier in the season. And the, the Green Bay really struggled with that through injuries, through some of the inconsistency. And obviously, the if you look at the structurally, there's a lot of changes right now with this unit than there was 16 weeks ago. The other aspect of this, too, that's going to be very fascinating to watch is to see, okay, first and foremost, Christian Watson. How's he doing with the hip? Can he be out there? If he is out there, how much is he going to be available? Those are things Green Bay is going to have to figure out. But, you know, Romeo Dobbs getting back involved in this thing. I thought Romeo, the way he's bounced back from that ankle injury, he looks strong. He looks confident. He looks like a guy that has really began to find his niche in this offense and, and kind of what 
his jigsaw pieces to this whole puzzle, right? Yeah. There, he, he hasn't had these numbers. He hasn't had a you know, 150-yard game since he came back, but it's just his accountability. Both of these last two games, he's, he's made some of the biggest plays that Green Bay has needed to win. Um, that impresses me. Alan Lazard doing all the little things once again. So much of the wide receiver one is hung on, okay, what are his stats? Well, you look at last week, he had a 40-yard catch down the sideline, and he also had a block that leveled three people. That's this Packers offense, Mike. When yeah. you think back to 2019 and 20, that's how they built this reputation up. Yes, Devontae Adams is an exceptional Hall of Fame caliber player, but he wasn't the only skill position player out there. It was the contributions they were getting from the other spots too. That is what is different right now, I feel, than in week one when it was like, okay, well, we got Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Who's going to be the next guy to step up? I just feel like the identity is much more established in this one. Yeah, I think, I think, the, I think the place that they're, they're struggling to find their identity is what are they going to hang their hat on when they get in close? What, yeah. is the, what, what are the go-to calls when it's first Let's and 10? Let's get to Mercedes the, Lewis. That's all you got to do. Yeah. What, what are the go-to calls when it's first and 10 from the 17-yard line? What are the go-to calls when it's first and goal from the 6-yard line? Those kinds of things to be able to finish drives because, uh, because the, I mean, we talked about how you know, the Packers took a knee on the one-yard line against the Rams to close that game out, or they would have, you know, you punched that in for a touchdown, you're over 30 points. They scored 26 in Miami, certainly had plenty of opportunities to get above 30 points. This, te- this team is right there. This team is right there where you, you, you almost feel like, okay, you know, unless they're playing, you know, one of the top defenses in the league, so to speak, this is a team that should be able to put up 30 points. You know, if, if you've got Christian Watson in the game, if you've got your guys healthy, and we have to see how that plays out. But it feels like, and, and I get the sense from, you know, the way Aaron Rodgers talks at his locker, he senses the offense is playing better, but it's still not quite there. But the, the, the point totals, the point totals are almost there. And, and, and this is the game where, hey, if, if, if you can you can hit that 30-point mark, score 33, 35, or 36, something like that, you're going to put yourself in a great position to, uh, um, to potentially make the playoffs. You here. know the most bizarre thing about the red zone issues this year is that in the past when Green Bay was really good at it, they still didn't necessarily run the ball overly well, especially on the goal line. This year, I actually think they seem to have really found more in that area with A.J. Dillon. Feels a lot more confidence, you know, if they're inside the five-yard line. But now it's been kind of the passing game where you're trying to, to catch up. Again, it's a, there's only so many wooden pegs you have. Trying to figure out which holes to put them in is always the challenge. Um, and this is going to be an interesting matchup against Minnesota because as much as I think explosive plays could play a role in this based on what Minnesota's put on film the last month, a lot of times it does come down to, okay, first and 15, first and 10 from the 15, what are you going to come up with here to punch that thing in? Yeah. Well, we've seen as far as the in the keys to victory category, I mentioned the offense needing to finish drives. On the defensive side of the ball, this is a Packers defense that over the last, during this three-game winning streak, generated eight takeaways in the three-game winning streak. But we've also seen the defense give up the explosive plays um, even in uh, you know the games in Chicago, the game in Chicago, the game in Miami, the Packers still managed to to win those games. So on the defensive side, what do you see as the biggest key to winning this football game? You have to do something to disrupt Kirk Cousins' rhythm. You know, Kirk Cousins, man. Again, as I talked about earlier, I think there's a lot of Packers fans out there that don't really give him the credit he deserves because they've played him nine times in the regular season. They've only beat him three of those. I mean, between Washington and, and Minnesota. 
he only has thrown five picks in nine regular season games. Uh, 111 passer rating career against Green Bay. And this guy's had a lot of success. And I'm telling you what, I know the personnel changes defensively, but all of that is in the back of his mind as he steps onto the field on Sunday. That I've been here, I've done that, and I have something to prove with trying to take this Minnesota team into the playoffs and actually you know, get some wins and make a run. So I think I don't care if it's the pass rush. I don't care if it's the secondary. I don't care if it's trying anything possible to get him out of his rhythm. That has to be accomplished because we've seen it, Mike. We've seen the Packers shut down Delvin Cook, but then it's Kirk Cousins going off for 350 passing yards. Whatever you have to do, whatever you need to dig up, this starts with making sure that you contain Kirk Cousins because here's a little secret for you, Mike. 1,700 passing yards this year, receiving yards for Justin Jefferson. Right. He doesn't get that production if it's not Kirk Cousins delivering him the football. Yeah, and those those two have, those two have certainly developed a uh, a chemistry that we've uh, we've seen certain receivers in the green and gold develop with their quarterback as well. A little bit of sponsor business here, Wes. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, right. 50 years of better. Cool. Good show, buddy. I really appreciate it. This is where you're just going to do path to the playoffs, right? You don't need me anymore, right? You're no, go? I need I need you. Okay. I need your Because I was going to say, I mean, this is ultimately where, okay, so Mike talks about the playoff implications, <laughs> and I just regurgitate everything I read from path to the playoffs while yes. you actually. Well, I, path, path to the playoffs, for those who aren't aware, it has returned. Path to the playoffs was posted Wednesday afternoon on Packers.com, so you can certainly read there. But we will also, we will also discuss it here. The most important games as they relate to the Green Bay Packers. Indianapolis is at the New York Giants. Cleveland is at Washington. Because the, play, the Packers' playoff scenario is this. Two victories over Minnesota and Detroit to get to 9-8. and eight. If that happens, then one of two things needs to happen. Either Washington needs to lose a game or the Giants need to lose two games. That's where things sit right now for the Packers in terms of making the playoffs. And what's, and, and what's really interesting about this from a timing perspective is the Giants and the Commanders both will be playing on Sunday in the early window, the noon central time kickoff. So Packers fans and the Packers themselves are going to know the results of those games before they take the field against the Vikings. And what's really interesting because of the situation with Washington is – if Washington wins, then the Packers are officially eliminated if they lose to the Vikings. If Washington loses, then the Packers actually take the field for the first time in, throughout this late season push, controlling their own destiny. If Washington loses, the Packers take the field against Minnesota knowing if they can beat the Vikings and beat the Lions, they are in the playoffs. They suddenly have that control. So the Washington game and that result against Cleveland in the early window on Sunday is really the key one to pay attention to. Absolutely. And it was funny listening to a couple guys in the locker room, you know, Devontae Wyatt was one that we talked to about this, about how much are you going to pay attention to that noon game? And he admitted, yeah, you have to. I mean, it's just, you'd be lying to say you don't care what happens with the Washington game. 
the the part of it is that no matter what the outcome is, the job doesn't change against Minnesota. Right. But right. if Was- if Washington if Washington wins, as I said, if Washington wins, the Packers are eliminated with a loss. But if Washington wins and the Packers win, the Packers are still very much alive yes. heading into Week 18. Yeah, because, I mean, as much as you want to look at your Powerball numbers, you still have to go to work the next day, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just the way these things go. But but all that being said, I, 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 I'm really curious about where Washington is headed. We saw it this week, Mike. They're making the switch back to Carson Wentz. Yeah, we were talking about that on our last show. Which way were they going to go? Well, Ron Rivera's decided it's, Car- it's the Carson Wentz show now to try to get – the victory or victories that Washington needs to get into the playoffs. And, you know, if you look at it, I don't want to dive in all the numbers, but Terry McLaurin was a much more effective receiver this year when Taylor Heineke is his quarterback. Absolutely. So I I get what Rivera's doing because it's like you're basically saying, okay, hey, we're going to do this here, and this week we'll see what happens. All right, cool. And then if we need it, then hopefully Wentz builds up some momentum for the next game. I, I think the thinking is is that with Cleveland struggling as much as they have, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, yeah. this is going to be our our build up some momentum game if we're going to make a run here, and Carson Wentz is going to be the guy. Yeah, Ron Rivera is counting on his defense to hold Cleveland to like 10 or 13 points, yep. and he's not, and he's going to ask Carson Wentz, Basically, to like not screw this up, just score like 17 or 19 points or something like that, and 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 they're going to win this game and try to build the momentum you're talking and, about. I think that's what Ron Rivera's thought process. And let's be honest, here. Mike. As much as I want to sit here and say, "Hey, go go Cleveland," uh, this is a god awful matchup for the Browns. I mean, the, the the way that Washington can defend the run. Oh, that 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 defensive front for Washington. Yeah. Cleveland is going to Cleveland is going to have a really hard time moving the football against these guys. But if they do. Then the Green Bay Packers, as you said, they, they can go into that game against Minnesota knowing that, all right, we take care of business here. We come out and do what we're expected to do uh, by the line makers. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and there are some other games I talk about in the path to the playoffs in terms of if, if you want to understand some of the rooting interests and how they might pertain to Week 18, should the Packers beat Minnesota and and stay alive, et cetera, et cetera. I want to get your thoughts on one other game, though, on the slate this weekend that has nothing to do with the Packers. Jacksonville and Houston. No, <laughs> because it's a game that is just screaming AFC playoff preview. And I'm talking about the Monday night game. Buffalo is at Cincinnati. These two teams have been in the thick of it all year. They're going to be in the thick of it over the next uh, several weeks. This is a fascinating game to have this late in the regular yeah. season when you know that it could just be a couple of weeks down the road they could be meeting again. How in the heck did Monday Night Football get this game? Yeah, no kidding. Usually this is a time <laughs> of year where it's like the Monday Night matchups are like, oh, yeah, they really you know, they, they really misjudged that one when, yeah. they, when they put the schedule together. Well, Buffalo and Cincinnati in Week 17 on Monday Night Football, you can't ask for anything uh, better than that. I was going to say, like the ESPN Disney execs, they're sitting there with a fork and knife in both hands, like all excited here. <laughs> yeah. Wait, it's Monday Night Football? You can't flex it? This is our game for sure in Week right. 17? Right, uh, Yeah, stay matchup. tuned. Flex, flexing for Monday Night Football might be in the future, yeah. here, but not, not in 2022 not or, or at least not yet. I'll make one quick statement on this. Cincinnati has been so hot this season, the second half of the season. Joe yeah. Burrow, man, I mean, what they've done 
not having Chase and I mean just being able to continue this thing. They lost Mixon for a minute. You know, Samori P. Ryan is having to be their back. Yeah. And they kept finding ways to get victories. It's the type of thing you didn't expect from Cincinnati five years ago, and and now they've become one of the teams that nobody wants to face. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, at the same time, the Buffalo Bills for for their various ups and downs, and you're not you know you know they're good. You're not quite sure how good they are. Um, they still just strike me with with uh, with Josh Allen as a team that could that could they could put up forty points on anybody 100%. at any time. Uh, that's that's just what it how, feels. How like. cool? We got to get out of here, but how yeah. cool is this though? Carolina, Tampa Bay, you know the implications in the South. You look at the Jets and the Seahawks. Uh, those two teams were kind of the darlings in the first half of the year. Now, basically, whoever loses that, you're done. Yeah, whoever, yeah, whoever loses that it, one, you're out. And the and the win, the winner is still trying to, you know, trying to fight their way in the back door, so to speak. So yeah. exciting little weekend. Yeah, absolutely, no question about it. With that, we do have to go though, so we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and everything from Sunday's big game at Lambeau Field. We'll have it all for you on Packers.com. For Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Happy New Year to everyone out there. We will see you next time.